Well, what a great joy to welcome all of you to our annual convocation. It's really a, an unbelievable experience to stand up here and look at all of the sea of faces, the, the joy, the faith, the enthusiasm, the excitement, anticipation of what this wonderful week is going to bring to all of us. And welcome to all of you. All of you also in the Pasadena room, we can't see you. We know that you can see us at welcome to you as well. Now, all of us, all of you have come here for one reason, to experience God. So without any more preliminaries, let's dive right into it, shall we? Yes. yes. <laughs> all right. Please close your eyes. Sit up straight, and we'll begin by invoking that blessed presence of God and the Masters. Lift your consciousness, gaze into the point between the eyebrows, the spiritual eye, that great portal to the presence of God, the golden light surrounding the blue sphere and visualize that beautiful white divine star and from that source let that light blaze forth into our consciousness and feel that you are receiving it as we pray heavenly father mother friend beloved god jesus christ bhagavan krishna Mahavatar Babaji, Lahiri Mahashai, Swami Sri Yukteswar, our Guru Paramahansa Yogananda, saints of all religions, we bow to you all. Beloved God, bathe me in your light, open my consciousness. Open my heart, open my mind, and let me be immersed in your divine presence, washing me in your light, washing away all tension, all worldly desires, that I may relax and open myself to your blessings. Om. 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 Peace. Amen. Now convocation has begun. <laughs> We're in that sacred space, that eternal shelter of a true guru as Master wrote in the autobiography. This evening we want to begin with a special message from our President Sri Dayamata, who has sent this letter to be read, conveying her love and greetings to all of you. And Ma says, Dear ones, 
a warm welcome to all of you who have come from far and near to participate in this Self-Realization Fellowship Convocation. In my heart, I greet each one of you as in my thoughts and spirit, I join you during this special week, praying for you and asking God and Guru to deeply bless you. Many of you have made sacrifices to attend. Your efforts are a beautiful affirmation of your undaunted spirit and faith in God, despite the challenging circumstances in the world today. As you set aside all for a while your daily cares and take part in the activities of this week, may you feel rejuvenated in body, mind, and soul, and be uplifted by the timeless wisdom of Gurudev Paramahansa Yogananda's teachings. Beneath the uncertainties that have always been a part of life on earth is the eternal reality of God's love. This love of our Creator ever sustains and guides us. That is the truth we need to remember and to hold on to in the midst of all of our experiences. When we become wholly engrossed in the drama of daily existence, we forget that His boundless strength and wisdom uphold our human will and understanding, and that with infinite care He is watching over our souls. We need only to make ourselves receptive to allow His help and blessings to flow into our lives. Receptivity comes when by the Guru-given techniques of meditation we take the consciousness deep within and draw upon the infinite source of our being. This transformation of our consciousness is greatly aided by absorbing and practicing the principles of positive thinking and spiritual living that Guruji taught. I remember how unfailingly positive our Guru was, no matter what circumstances he was facing in building this work. The word can't did not exist for him, and he did not allow us to use it as an excuse. Whatever worthy goal, he set his mind upon, he would find a way to accomplish it through undiscourageable efforts and utter faith in God. You can do the same. As he once said, God is the sum total of everything and his image is within you. He can do anything and so can you if you learn to identify yourself with his inexhaustible nature. During this week, Feel God and Guru's love enfolding you, giving you renewed strength and motivation to pursue your highest spiritual aspirations and your worthwhile aims in this world. Sheltered in their love, you can withstand all of life's challenges and help others by reflecting God's light and goodness wherever He has placed you. Unceasing blessings and divine love to each of you. And it's signed, Diamata. So, attuning our lives to God's plan. Those beautiful, inspiring words of Diamataji that we just heard echo what the saints and mystics 
divinely illumined beings down the ages have always reminded humanity. As our guru said in his autobiography of a yogi, almost the very last thing in the book, on the last page, he reminds us, every saint who has penetrated to the core of reality has testified that a divine universal plan exists and that it is beautiful and full of joy. The plan exists and it is beautiful and full of joy. But as we've all experienced in this world with all of its outer chaos, outer craziness, there's a powerful hypnosis at work. It makes us forget, tries to make us forget, I should say, what life is all about. Just as one man I heard about, he recorded on his voicemail a message on his answering machine, and he said, I'm not able to answer the phone right now, so please leave a message telling me who you are and what you want. And if you think these are simple questions, keep in mind that most people live their entire lives without ever arriving at an answer. <laughs> Sometimes we have to stop and remind ourselves what is the big picture. That's why I'm glad we're starting with this subject the beginning of this week, because what is God's plan? The attuning ourselves to God's plan is the big picture. I think that's one of the reasons when I talk to many of you who come to these convocations year after year, it's just for that reason, isn't it? Of course, the fellowship plugging into the divine vibration of convocation and our guru's presence, God's presence, but also just to step back from our daily routines and really remind ourselves what's important. And when times are tough, like they've been over this past year since the last convocation, and we, we come remind, to remind ourselves that, yes, there is this beautiful plan, there is a divine plan, but we sort of also are wondering, well, did God change his mind since last time? <laughs> but we come here to reinforce our faith that everything, everything that comes to us in life is part of that loving plan part of his loving plan for our souls. There was a elderly lady, elderly woman, who had great faith in God. And also she was very exuberant about expressing it. And it was her practice that every morning she would go out on her front porch, raise her arms to the sky and say, praise the Lord. Well, uh, it happened that next door, her next door neighbor was an atheist. And so his, just as regular as, uh, as her practice, he, he would shout back, there ain't no Lord. So every morning, this little routine went on. And uh, it came to a point where uh, this woman of great faith had, uh, was experiencing financial difficulties. She was going through very hard times. So one morning she went out in her same routine out on the front porch and said, Lord, Lord, you have to send me some groceries. I don't have enough money to buy all the food that we need. Lord, send me some groceries and praise the Lord. Well, the next morning she went out and lo and behold, there on the, right on the front porch were two big bags of groceries, all the food that she, not, she needed. And of course, didn't hesitate, praise the Lord. But then her neighbor had been hiding in the bushes and jumped out and said, ha, I put those groceries there. 
there is no Lord. Well, that didn't stop her for a second. She jumped up and down with even more joy than ever and said, praise the Lord, he sent me groceries and he even made the devil pay for them. I'm glad that made you laugh, because now we go into the heavy philosophy. <laughs> Just a little bit. When we hear about the divine plan that God has for all of us, it has for the world, for all of creation, and we look around ourselves, we look around at the world around us and say, what happened? What happened? Well, this is what happened. In this world of duality, God is not the only one with a plan. The moment that he gave free will to his children, to all of us, competing agendas were introduced. And from that point on, it was not a given at all when God's plan would manifest. Notice I say when, it's never a question if, because eventually everything works out, we, we know that, that He's God after all. But when is completely in question because it depends on the individual choices that each one of us makes. Now, all cultures, all religions, all traditions in the world, all of them have uh, stories or myths or traditions about an earthly paradise, isn't it? Garden of Eden, you know, maybe golden age of civilization, uh, Shangri-La, whatever, all the other ones that have been written about and, and passed down. What is that paradise? Simply this. It means living on earth while retaining our heavenly astral connection. Living on earth while retaining our heavenly astral connection. That's what God planned for his children on earth. And that's why in all of these stories, you know, it, there's a reason why this is in every culture, in every country, because intuitively, somewhere deep within, somewhere in our soul, we know this is true. We know that this is the way that things are supposed to be. Now, the science of yoga, Kriya Yoga, it takes that out of the realm of myth, out of the realm of story. And it tells us where that connection is. In the spiritual eye, the Christ Kutasta consciousness center at the point between the eyebrows, and in the astral and causal centers in the spine, the chakras, the cerebrospinal centers in the spine. We've all heard this before, we should never take for granted. This is such priceless knowledge. This should be taught by every mother and father to their children in the school. Someday it will, it will come about that there is this astral heavenly connection in the spiritual eye and in the spinal centers. And we can access it. We can retain that connection. How? Through the daily practice of that science of yoga meditation. Let's explore this just briefly. 
I want to give you a quote that Paramahansa Yogananda, our guru, our master, in his Gita commentary, he says this, in the gross material universe, the manifestation of spirit has to be inferred. In the astral universe of vibratory life, the manifestation of spirit can be felt. And in the causal universe of consciousness, the manifestation of spirit is known directly through intuitional perception. Now there's a lot packed into those words. I think you all know that in this creating this universe, spirit or God the Father, the creator, first created in thought, in consciousness, that, that pure uh, ethereal realm of pure ideas, pure thought forms that was then then vibrated a little more grossly, we should say, not too gross, but just enough to give it form, to give it presence, to give it visibility. That's the astral world, that world of light, world of, of harmony, world of beauty that's just behind the shell, the outer shell of this gross physical world. And then, of course, from those vibrations of light, vibrations of astral life energy, then this grossest level of creation, the material world, the physical world, where we find ourselves. And so here Gurji is telling us, in this physical world, we can't even perceive that divine plan. We can't even perceive that presence of God. It can only be inferred. In other words, if we think about it, we, think we, we can't see it, it's all hidden, but we know that if we think deeply enough that things couldn't be a coincidence. It's the world, the universe, all of the cosmic forces and forms that have been put together by some intelligence. We can't put our finger on it, but we infer it must be there. But still, we're blind to it. We're only, we're going on what our reason or our logic tells us. Now, it's a whole different story when we're able to restore that connection to the higher realms, to the astral and the causal. Ergorji says, in the astral world, you can actually, you feel that presence, you feel just as we feel the temperature of the air or the motion of the wind or any of the other things that are so real in this world, in that astral consciousness, you feel directly God is here. That harmony, that love, that wisdom, that strength, that life. It's real. I feel it. And then, of course, even greater spiritual advancement and that quality of intuition gradually awakens and then God becomes a matter of direct perception. Okay, this sounds very mystical and metaphysical and otherworldly. Maybe it is. But who is so happy with this world that we are not interested in learning a little bit about another one? And we can make it extremely practical, extremely doable. We can revolutionize our lives by two simple things. Awaken the spine, awaken those centers of divine life and perception in the spine, and keeping our consciousness immersed, attuned at the spiritual eye, Christ Consciousness Center. It's hard to overemphasize the importance of Paramahansa Yogananda's teachings about the spiritual eye. 
We can say the spiritual eye is God's plan for all of us in a nutshell, so to speak. The entire body is a materialization of those astral and causal forces that flow out of the spiritual eye. The five limbs, arms and feet and head of the body are plus the five powers of knowledge, powers of action that inform this body. All of that is a materialization of these divine forces that flow into our being from the spiritual eye. We are so much more than physical beings. This is what this hypnosis has made us forget. We're so much more than physical beings. Our whole life and consciousness come from God, instant by instant, through the spiritual eye. And until we have some awareness of that, until we learn how to tune into that, to make that something that we can draw upon, we cannot be living in tune with God's plan. Why? Because His plan is for us to live as divine beings. His plan is for us to live as divine beings. Our guru said, God made us angels of energy encased in solids, currents of life dazzling through a material bulb of flesh, but through concentration on the frailties and fragility of the body, we have forgotten how to feel the immortal, indestructible properties of the eternal life energy within the mutable flesh. The immortal, indestructible properties of life energy within the flesh. That means awakening, awakening those astral causal centers of life and consciousness in the spine. Because by doing that, that's how we retain that connection, that sense of being sheltered, that sense of being sustained, that sense of being complete, always from moment to moment, plugged in, you might say, to that great dynamo of God's presence. That is what God's plan is for each of us. Even in the Bible, symbolically, in the Old Testament, we find this talked about. In the book of Ezekiel, Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. Thou wast upon the holy mountain of God. Thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. Thou wast perfect in all thy ways from the day that thou wast created till iniquity was found in thee. Think about that. Living in the garden of Eden, in that state of divine consciousness, that's the real paradise. That myths and stories and books and movies are all in one way or another trying to, to get at, to access, but it's something real. It's living in that, in that consciousness of divine perception. Thou wast on the holy mountain of God, meaning at the pinnacle, at the top of the spine, at the top of the brain, that highest center of divine consciousness where the presence of God is known as a direct reality. And here, of course, the key of walk up and down in the midst of the stones of fire, the spinal chakras or astral dynamos of life force. But then it goes on and it explains a lot about how we got to where we are now. By the multitude of thy merchandise, meaning merchandise, meaning that exchange, that, that give and take 
through the senses, through the material, the physical instruments, with this outer world. That world becomes the only reality to us, and we forget the others. By the multitude of thy merchandise, thou hast sinned. Therefore I will cast thee as profane out of the mountain of God and destroy thee from the midst of the stones of fire. Now, please don't be put off by the language. All of these words like sin and destroy and so on, we'll get to that in a few minutes. But the point is, we lost that heavenly astral connection that exists in the spinal centers. Our guru wrote literally thousands of pages about spiritual living, about how to bring our lives into attunement with God, with the presence of God, with this divine plan for liberation, for salvation. Thousands of pages. But to those who were receptive, those who he would say, those who know how to listen, two little short statements were all that was necessary. You've heard these before. One, he would say, just keep your consciousness here. Just keep your mind here, meaning at the spiritual eye, Christ Consciousness Center. And then he would say, get in the spine, then I can help you. Get in the spine, then I can help you. We have to understand this, how to put these into practice. And during this week, you'll be hearing much more about these about the ways of putting these into practice through meditation, through the different practices during daily life. But the important point to keep in mind is that the spiritual eye is a portal into that deeper spine, into that what we call the sushumna in yoga, that where those awakened cerebrospinal centers are radiating their blessings into our lives, into our body, mind, and soul, our whole nervous system. The spiritual eye is a portal into that. And the more we keep our consciousness in the spiritual eye, the more that harmony, which we, we were talking about a little while ago, the astral world is much more naturally attuned to God, much more naturally vibrant with the presence of God. And the more we keep our consciousness here in meditation and during the day practicing the presence of God, the more we allow that, that peace, that subtle influence of those higher realms to flow into our active mind and brain and nervous system. Isn't that better than constantly absorbing or tuning the mind to the messages that are coming from the other place, from the world, from particularly in our, there's no other word for it, depraved mass culture of today's world. This is how you retain that connection in the midst of all the craziness, in the midst of all the influences that would, that would divert us, that would make us forget, that would hypnotize us, that would help, that would try to make us lose that connection. It's all a matter of what we tune into. I remember when when I first moved to Mount Washington, which uh, some years ago, as a young monk, and 
you know, of course, what a, what a blessing to live there, this, this uh, holy center, spiritual center, the nucleus of, of our guru's work. I hope that all of you or many of you will be visiting there during their time here during convocation to feel that blessing which has only grown over the years that he left there. Anyways, during, for whatever reason, during this time, for a day or so, I sort of somehow got into a, a blue mood, walking around, feeling just sort of depressed, feeling sorry for myself. Uh, I had just moved there. I didn't really, probably hadn't been quite grounded in what was going on. But I was walking one day on the grounds of the Mother Center there, and, and this thought came to me. I said, the mind, of course, as Guruji teaches, is like a radio. It receives whatever we tune it to. Obviously, my thoughts were tuned into something pretty negative. But then I thought to myself, I thought, this is, this is insane. These grounds are permeated with Guruji's joy, Guruji's love, Guruji's life. And here I'm walking around in this negative mood. And I thought, well, there's no, there's no reason for this. I'm going to try to retune the mind, retune it, and just absorb some of that divine presence that's here. And as I did that, it was amazing. In an instant, it was like that mood was gone and never, as if it had never been. It's all a matter of what we tune into. So the point is, the more we keep our mind at the Christ Consciousness Center through meditation, through practicing the presence of God, the more we can, we can access, the more we can draw on that inner paradise, that inner wealth of peace, of strength, of unconditional love that's inherent in our being. It all comes as we turn our consciousness at least a little bit within, a lot, turn it in a lot in meditation and during the day at least keep part of it inside. Would you like to experience this? I love these divine ecstatic perceptions that our guru recorded in, in his writings. In the magazine, usually there's one. These, these are the ones that are not the full-length talks, but the one page, a few paragraphs, where he's just pouring out some of his direct perception of God. And I'd like you to join in this, to experience it, because we all know his words, his words are not just words. His words are vibrations of cosmic consciousness. His words are vibrations of truth, and they can impart to us, to the degree that we're receptive, the experience of what he's talking about. Would you join in with this then? Just, just listen and experience and visualize. Close your eyes. You don't have to take notes during this. All right, if you want to read it, it's in the summer 1999 magazine. There, now you can put away your notepads. No, it's just to experience, just to feel. It's called Come Back my heart and mind to inward glory. And it starts off, first, Guruji is speaking as if the higher self, the soul, is talking to the lower self. It says, Oh, my heart, come back to the home of my father. Roam no longer in the wilderness of outward going. 
Come back. Come back. See the glory of the inner palace of the soul where all thy brethren of good sentiments in exaltation of ecstasy worship the almighty blessed soul within. My heart, come back. I conjure thee, I pray thee, come back and behold the glory, the inner resplendence. Thou, O mind, art attracted unduly by the tinsel glitter of outward things. How much more wilt thou be charmed if thou see the effulgent beauty of the inner palace of the Father? Come back, come back, I beckon. Once come back and see, and before thou seest, judge not. Thou canst not judge unless thou seest. Come back and see with what wondrous beauty the Father hath adorned the inner abode to enrapture thee with joy. And then Guruji goes on, then the lower self, having listened and heard the above, responds and says, I come, I come. Oh, what joy! Every noble sentiment arises joyously to greet me. Sorrows and gloom, all shadows of ignorance, fly away before the unveiled blazing light. And I who was dark and become luminous, glorious, radiantly bright. And then the higher self, the soul, finishes and says, as the charcoal's blackness cannot be expunged however it be washed, but when touched by transforming flame glows all red and shining, so I pray ye, matter-darkened brethren and sisters, come back. Be ignited by the spiritual fire and lose your opacity. Be ye made lucent, refulgent, shining angels in your inner life. The beauty of the body, however dazzling its adornments or regalia, do not make a mortal beautiful. Tis only the soul, the Lord indwelling, that sets a life aglow with radiance immutable. Nothing outward can withstand the ravages of time, but the glory within endures, incandescent with life, invulnerable with wisdom, a spiritual essence outlasting all ages. Come back, come back, O heart and mind. Remember your divinity. Abide therein and rejoice in glory, in peace, unto eternity. This perception, of course, comes gradually as we go on with our daily practice of Kriya, the other techniques, and living according to the spiritual principles. It comes in degrees. It's not all at once like turning on your Christmas tree lights. We couldn't handle that. And frankly, I don't think that your spouse and those you live with could either. It's gradually an awakening of those divine qualities, those luminous, luminescent qualities that flow from the inner paradise. Joy and healing, freedom from fear, success. And the point is that no amount of intellectual study, no amount of philosophizing can bring this, can give this to us. It only comes, 
only comes through scientific meditation, such as we've been given in the science of Kriya Yoga. And when I say Kriya Yoga, I mean the whole system. The four basic techniques, the energization exercise, the Hong Sa technique, the Om technique, and Kriya proper. All of them, and all of them, did you ever stop to think that all of those techniques are founded upon the very first thing that we're taught in the practice of any of them? Fix the consciousness here at the point between the eyebrows. By going deep in that through regular, a little bit more proficient each time we practice and over the years, we have no idea how it changes us. Or we do have an idea when we come to gatherings like this and we see it in the faces of those who have been practicing that for all these years. It works. Now I'm going on to another point about attuning our lives with God's plan. Again from Autobiography of a Yogi, Guruji says, the divine purpose of creation, so far as man's reason can grasp it, is expounded in the Vedas. The Hindu scriptures teach that man is attracted to this particular earth to learn more completely in each successive life the infinite ways in which the spirit may be expressed through and dominant over material conditions. Isn't that powerful? Doesn't that inspire you? Isn't that, in a nutshell, the definition of a spiritually victorious life? To allow through our lives some of those infinite ways in which the spirit can be expressed through our material life and dominant over material conditions, whatever conditions, whatever challenges, whatever is placed before us in this cosmic drama of God and our karma. And then he goes on and says, man's forgetfulness of his divine resources, the result of his misuse of his free will, is the root cause of all other forms of suffering. So here's the key. Here's where the forgetfulness comes from. Here's where our losing that connection with that inner paradise comes by our forgetfulness of our divine resources. You know, our guru in his teachings teaches us many things, many skills, many practices. Not, and it's not only meditation and how to live and philosophy and so on. I think he's also teaching us a new language. Language is a very powerful effect over our consciousness. You know, just take a few examples. Take words like, well, like we mentioned in the Bible passage I read a little while ago, even sin and, and that wrath of God. All of these, these have very powerful cultural and emotional baggage. Or even the word church, even the word God. Have any of you experienced when uh, sometimes if you, if, particularly those who were raised in, uh, in religious traditions that uh, didn't provide what your soul was yearning for, didn't provide what you knew life was all about, and you come on this path and somebody says, well, where do you go every Sunday morning? And if, oh, to the meditation center. You know, it's, you, we almost don't even want to say the word church. 
But these are the, this is the power of words. There's nothing right or wrong whether we do or don't. But this is the power that language has over, with, over our consciousness. Especially the words, you may notice, the words that we use to talk to ourselves about ourselves. Language is very powerful. And as we go on the spiritual path, this particular path, go deeper and deeper in the teachings, more and more I think we realize that Master, our Master spoke a new language and he's teaching that to us. In fact, I think we could call that language Yogananda. You know, like people, some people speak Spanish, some people speak French, some people speak German, and we should speak Yogananda. I'll tell you, just to, just to digress for a moment, I'll tell you where that idea came to me from. Is Years ago, there was a, a book review about the, uh, after our guru's commentary on the Bhagavad Gita came out. And uh, the book reviewer, of course, was just taken by, by what he experienced in those pages. And here's what he wrote. He said, here is Yogananda, page after page of his magic explanations showing, cutting right through to the bone and the spirit of the situation. All of yoga is here, verse after verse, Yogananda after Yogananda. <laughs> and then he ended, stunning. But the reason for learning a new language is because that many words have a much more powerful meaning, a much more practical and useful meaning in our lives. Take, for example, the word prayer. Prayer. Now, for many who may have been raised in orthodox, dogmatic, Kali Yuga form of religion, that word prayer may not seem like a very dynamic thing. You know, we, it's, a, it's a more superficial, a more outward, a more ritualistic practice. But in Yogananda language, prayer has a very different meaning. It means to create. We say to somebody, I will pray for you. You're really saying, if we understand Guruji's teachings, what we're really saying is, I will create for you. I will unite myself with God's will in the spiritual eye and do my best to manifest with his help, with his blessings, to manifest what is needed in this situation. That's what prayer means. It means getting into the spiritual eye through meditation, through deep meditation, and directing that light of the spiritual eye as a blazing creative force to bring healing, to bring harmony, to bring whatever is needed in the given situation with God's help and blessing. With God's help and blessing. So we establish ourselves in the spiritual eye and we visualize that divine creative force pouring out of the divine source for the person being prayed for or for ourselves. We have that power. Why don't we exercise it? Some people say we are afraid of power. I don't agree. I think we are afraid of responsibility. We are afraid of the responsibility that comes with that power because if we admitted that we had it, we could no longer evade the responsibility to live like gods. What is the enemy of responsibility? Self-pity. Victim consciousness. We like to pity ourselves 
And that's why we don't stand up like divine warriors. Divine warriors and exercise the power within us. Sri Dayamata had some very, as usual, very practical and very heartfelt words about this that I want to share with you. Before I do, I want to say something about these books that we have of our beloved Ma, her talks, her reminiscences of her years with Guruji. In those talks, we are getting what it would have been like if each of us had been there in the physical presence receiving the personal training of that God-illumined master. That's all those books are. These are Master's teachings imparted from guru to disciple. And she had the great generosity, the great magnanimity of heart to record it all and share it with each of us. So when we, when we hear these words of her, just remember there's nothing about Dayamata. This is all about how Guruji worked with her as an individual, how he will work with each of us as individuals to transform our consciousness. She said, self-pity is one of the indications of immersion in the little ego self. If we harbor self-pity, our attitude is always subjective, taking everything personally. We cannot be objective about anything. As a result, we constantly feel sorry for ourselves. To be objective is to think in terms of what is the right attitude toward our work, in our relationships with others, and above all, in our relationship with God. And then she goes on and tells us what that right attitude is. Simply this, God tests each of us in those areas where we need to develop strength. He is not going to appear to any of us out of the clouds and say, now my child, these are the things that are wrong with you, A, B, C, and D. Rather, he brings into our lives those circumstances that give us opportunities to recognize and heal all of the psychological weaknesses in our consciousness. Think about what that means. This process of purification, that whatever comes to us, if we are encountering it, greeting it with some semblance of right attitude. To that degree, this process of purification is going on. That purification means one thing. It means removing that husk of mortal consciousness, that opaque shell that hides that paradise, that inner presence of God from us. This is built into God's plan. He will not let us remain weak, mortal beings. As she said, he brings into our lives the circumstances that we need in order to recognize and heal all of those psychological flaws in our consciousness. There was a cartoon from this, remember the Peanuts comic strip? It, went, uh, it was for years and years with Lucy and Charlie Brown and so on. And in one of them, Lucy says to Charlie Brown, you know, Charlie Brown, the problem with you is that you're you. <laughs> and in the second frame of the cartoon, poor Charlie Brown looks at her and says, well, what in the world can I do about that? And then in the last frame, Lucy says, I don't pretend to be able to give advice. I merely point out the problem. 
Fortunately, there is advice for the problem. And I've seen it work again and again over many years of observing devotees on this path be transformed into knowers of God's presence. I'd like to share this with you now. We can go for a certain distance on the spiritual path and be practicing meditation, be studying the teachings, be trying to become better human beings and feel great happiness, even make a considerable amount, noticeable amount of progress in concentration, in greater health maybe, calmness, and so on. But there's a definite point that separates those who are only interested in the, the gifts or the benefits of spiritual living from those who are absolutely and unequivocally bent on liberation. There's a point. I call that the Great Divide. You know what the Great Divide is? In, in uh, North America, there's this geographical point where in the Rocky Mountains where everything on one side of the Great Divide, all the uh, rivers and streams, all the rainfall that comes down is flowing to the uh, Gulf of Mexico or Mississippi River, or Gulf of Mexico, Atlantic Ocean. On the other side, as soon as you get over that Great Divide, that line, all of it is flowing to the Pacific, the other direction. Now, the Atlantic, Pacific, this doesn't matter. The point is, is that until we get to that point in our spiritual lives, that great divide, or I should say, once we cross over that point, then all of our energies, all of our attitudes, all of our thoughts, all of our actions are all going toward that one goal of complete liberation, complete freedom, complete oneness with God. And you know what that great divide is? It's coming to the point where we surrender to the fact that we have to follow with 100% obedience the will of God. Obedience. It's not a popular word in the world today. People feel it being as being restrictive and uncool. But it's also one of the principal reasons why our world today is so out of sync with this God's plan, with the divine plan. One wise soul said, spiritual rules are not masters, but servants. And he is their master who obeys them. Spiritual rules are not restrictive. They're not our masters, they're our servants because by showing us, they serve us by showing us how to live in this world to retain that self-mastery. This is a missing piece, a major missing piece in the lives of many, many people in the modern world today. We come to a point where we're, very, we're, we're sincere on the spiritual path. We may have come to this uh, already through painful experiences where we say to God, I want to know you. I want to know you. We may even have progressed beyond that to where it turns into, I want to love you. Lord, I want to love you. But when we add one more thing onto that, we take a quantum leap forward in our spiritual evolution. And that's when we add onto it, I want to obey you. Or, as Arjuna says at the end of the 18 chapters of Krishna's advice in the Bhagavad Gita, I will act according to thy word. Or, as our guru said to the disciples, one prayer is all you need. 
Always pray to please God and Guru in every way. Pray to please God and Guru in every way. Years ago when I heard Marinalini Mata, our Vice President, who Master said those words to, and she shared it with the monks and nuns, and I, I thought, that's, that's the key. That's, I made it an affirmation. I took it into as much as I could, uh, walking around during the day and just repeating that as an affirmation at the end of my meditations. Show me the way to please you. Show me the way to be in tune with you. All day long, as much as I could. And it worked because I got an answer. And how did I know I got an answer? Because a little voice started answering that affirmation saying, when I was saying, show me the way to please you, show me the way to be in tune with you, after a while the little inner voice started to say, you know what to do to please me, now just do it. And if there's anyone here who doesn't know, stick around, because by the end of this week, you will. <laughs> One more point I want to bring up about this subject of God's plan. From time to time, people get caught up in predictions. And particularly when the world is in a, a state of turmoil, a state of difficulty like we're going through now, uh, predictions about this catastrophe and that catastrophe and so on and so forth. Master's attitude toward that? You've all heard it on his recording where he says, this world will always have turmoil and trouble. What are you worried about? <laughs> so I have a suggestion. Don't worry about the future. Don't be preoccupied with this prediction or that prediction or what Guruji supposedly said to this disciple or that disciple. I've heard most of them. And I can tell you two things about them. First of all, many or most of them didn't come from Master at all. They were from some various psychics or astrologers or talk radio hosts. And different devotees, well-meaning, no doubt, but misguided over the years, thought, well, this sounds like something Master would have said. And so, lo and behold, it did become something he said. That's the first thing. The second thing is, do you want to know what the most likely thing in connection is with all these predictions? It's simply this, that no matter what happens, God will protect you if you follow these teachings. Our Guru said, I make one prediction. This world is not going down to destruction. Don't be frightened. Believe in your Father. He will protect you if you remember His ideals and keep faith in Him. Remember His ideals. Meditate. Get in the spine. Then He can help us. Live the yoga-balanced way of life. And keep the mind attuned to that flow of His guidance moment by moment situation by situation that comes when we manage to keep a little bit of our consciousness in the spiritual eye. And the more we do this, the more we live in this world as a divine being, able to stand unshaken amidst the crash of breaking worlds. I'm not predicting that the worlds are going to crash, but just in case. <laughs> so remember his ideals, Guruji said, and keep faith in him. Faith, 
Faith is such a beautiful, again in Yogananda language, faith is such a beautiful concept. It's so much more than just a hopeful or optimistic attitude. Because hope, we hope for something when uh, we have some, from past experience, from some, uh, we have some reason to believe that things are going to be better, that things are going to turn out all right. But faith, faith is so much deeper. Faith one person said, is not defeated by the ways of the world, for it does not come from experience. It comes from our original nature and first being. And here's the most beautiful point. It says, if we are indeed the children of the one, then he will not suffer himself to be deprived of his own, not by any enemy, not even by ourselves. I want to close with these beautiful words of our Guru. Again, please just close your eyes and listen to this, absorb this, because this sums up everything about God's plan. Guruji says, God's love toward His children is unconditional because he feels responsible for having sent them out from him into the delusion and misery of this world. If they see through false worldly lures and look to him, above all, if they love him, the giver, in preference to his material gifts, they return to him by the power of their virtue. Even in the darkest hours of human decline, when transgressors have become extremely entangled in delusion, by repeated performance of wrong actions. God comes through liberated masters or other great incarnations to enlighten and redeem those who repent. Such is the love of God for all his children. Somehow, in some way, the unseen God, the maker and therefore the wielder of the law of cause and effect, helps all souls to come back to him. After the vicissitudes of many incarnations in the lonesome wilderness of delusive creation, after lifetimes, man cries from the depths of his heart, enough, enough, when worldly enticements are at last deemed not worth their toll of suffering and precarious wandering in Maya, and he cries out from his core for deliverance. Then the hidden God, by his unseen touch, melts the band of unknowing from man's eyes of wisdom. Then, in joy and more joy, the Lord appears openly to his devotee. He explains that his hiding was not meant to cause suffering, but to heighten the enjoyment of man's ultimate, inevitable discovery of the eternal love. It's inevitable. This beautifully expresses not only God's love, but the Master's love for each of us as his disciples, as his devotees. Gyanamata once wrote about him, to him, and referred to the love that made you incarnate. The love that made you incarnate. Just thinking about him in that way, those who are maybe the more jnani type, the philosophical, intellectual type, may be put off by it, may feel even a little embarrassed to think that someone could love us as much as that, 
don't be. Don't be. You don't know what you're missing. That's the love that motivates these great ones, these masters, these gurus, to help us, to teach us, to love us. Let them help you. Let them free you. Let them love you. Master said, whoever comes to me in the right spirit with devotion for God will never be the same again. God has shown me how to break the secret thoughts of delusion that bind men's souls. When I give that blessing, virtue goes out of me. So come here with that spirit and you shall receive. Jai Guru. God bless you. Have a wonderful, blessed, fulfilling week of convocation.